Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 14 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Reno, and this episode of Top Dog Talk is presented by Retros by Paul. Retros by Paul is an Atlanta-based business which offers a large selection of unique, antique, modernized furniture and jewelry. Thank you, Retros by Paul, for supporting the Top Dog Talk. It is finally the week we've all been waiting for, Georgia-Florida week. The Gators and the Dogs will be meeting in Jacksonville, Florida this Saturday for the annual matchup between two of the most hated rivals in college football, Georgia and Florida. Joining me today, we have two very special guests and two people who will be with me on the Top Dog Talk podcast uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, we have First up, we have lead basketball writer at Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated, Brent Wilson coming back onto the show. Brent, you thank you. Brent, thank you for joining us here today on the Top Dog Talk podcast. Yeah, always glad to be here. And also joining us, this will be his first appearance here on the Top Dog Talk podcast. A new writer for Top Dog Blogs, Josh Carr, will be joining us here on the Top Dog Talk podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yep, we have a lot to get rolling to today. Obviously, we didn't do a post game breakdown on Saturday after the Georgia Kentucky game. So let's get rolling first. Uh, I'm going to open it up. Josh, since you are new here, I'll open it up with you. I'm going to let you have the floor for a minute. Uh, I mean, just give us your thoughts on the game, Georgia versus Kentucky. I mean, what went well? What went wrong um, in that performance? You know, I, I had a little bit different view than, than a lot of people did. Uh, I thought we kind of did what we had to do. You know, we, we just needed to win. And we I think we're in a spot where you you can't leave the game up to our quarterback. And, and he's our I believe that he's our best option. You know, and, and I don't think there's any necessarily a need for a change, even though he hasn't played particularly well. Um, but we did what we did well. And I think that we may see a lot more of that this week. And I'm not trying to jump forward uh, on that prematurely. But I was really excited at how well the offensive line played. You know, on uh, Pro Football Focus, we had two linemen grayed out at, at elite levels this week. And um, and the other thing that has not been talked about much, I thought our wide receivers blocked a little better this week. And they were at least in the right position more often, which when you have young wide receivers, it's often not the routes that they run, but it's their positioning on uh, running plays as far as getting their blocks. And then uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, hate to see the injuries, but we love to see the younger players come in and play well. You know, it doesn't just bode well for the future. I think it bodes well for, for the current situation and the further development of really high quality depth. Happy with it overall. A lot of great points there. I think uh, injuries are definitely going to be a key factor, and we'll talk about them a little later because um, obviously those are going to have a big outcome on this game this Saturday. Brent, what were your thoughts? I mean, what were some things that went well? What were some things that went wrong? And uh, if you want to add on to it, kind of Josh brought up the fact that we did what we had to do to win, you know, and some fans aren't happy about that. But are you okay with a 14-3 to victory on the road against Kentucky? Uh, I mean, from a from a fan perspective, it's, it's frustrating to watch, uh, especially when the other – Championship contenders have uh, elite quarterback play, but like you said, you know Georgia did what they had to do. They they stuck to their game plan and 
and really controlled the game for the entire 60 minutes. Yeah, I thought I thought we did really well. I thought definitely the run game was definitely a strength, and I mean it's probably going to be something we go back to um, at a, a lot this year. I mean I think this game will definitely lean on the run a little bit more, and I think we'll also see Stetson air it out a little bit more. Um, we'll talk, get to that later. Obviously, we brought up the fact that there were injuries that were suffered. You know, Georgia, despite all the injuries, were able to hold Kentucky to three points. I thought that was that was big. Uh, a lot of good momentum there for the defense, a lot of confidence. And, you know, this group is riding with confidence even before this game. So, I mean, what were your thoughts on the defense and what, what did y'all see from these young players stuff on the field? Uh, I think the, the, the one of the uh, key components last week was uh, Devontae Wyatt. I think he really stepped up. I was watching a little bit of Brooks Austin's uh, film breakdown on the defense. Devontae Wyatt stepped up. And, uh, you know, he, he's really good at uh, getting off the blockers. So if, if Jordan Davis cannot play this week, uh, Brooks mentioned this, he thinks that uh, they'll, they'll slide Devontae over to the, the nose guard and, uh, and ride with him. Yeah, and, you know, Devontae Wyatt played 54 snaps, 80% of the game with, in, in the Kentucky game. So he was in there a lot, and he was highly graded by Pro Football Focus. Our our highest graded defensive player was Malik Carey. Um, our second highest graded defensive player was Richard LeCount, which I, I think he'll be the the most missed this week. But I do look forward to seeing more of uh, Nazir Stackhouse. You know, that that guy, very similar to Jalen Carter, is just a freak athlete. And I think that uh, getting him involved is going to be, especially if we ever get to a point where he and Jalen Carter are on the field at the same time, that's a lot of athleticism. And, you know, Nazir Stackhouse ran the 100-meter dash for his high school. I mean, this guy, he is a freak athlete. Really can't wait to see him play. Uh, but I, I think the guy that I'll be watching the most uh, this week will be N'Kobe Dean. You know, his speed and ability to get sideline to sideline is going to be crucial. Uh, one of the big things about Florida's passing attack is they don't throw down the field much, and they're not very effective when they do. You know, Kyle Trask does not have a huge arm, uh, or he's not a very effective throwing way down the field. This are under 20 yards. Um, so, Nicobe Dean is going to need to have a big game. You know, I'd look for him to have double-digit tackles this week. You bring you bring up a really good point. I really like the fact that you talked about a little bit about the uh, the passing style of this Florida offense. You know, this is kind of it, it reminds me of the Alabama offense in a way. You know, they like to go horizontal a lot, like to get it out to their players out in space and let them do the rest. I think Kadarius Tony is one of those guys that they like to get out in space and let him do the rest with his speed and his athleticism. I think another guy we'll have to watch this week, and we'll talk about him later on, is Kyle Pitts. Um, when they do want to go vertical, they're usually going to try and hit Kyle Pitts. Um, and, you know, occasionally they'll go to a receiver. But my big thing on this on this Florida receiving uh, core, they haven't faced a secondary like Georgia. And granted, Georgia won't be at full strength in their secondary, but I think we're still good enough. We have a lot, a lot of talent to be able to deal with these guys. But getting back to Kentucky, I thought, you know, the defense played well. Um, you know, it's trying to struggle with the run game a little bit in the first half. I kind of got it under under wraps of the second half. 
you know, w- what is that? Is that just Georgia? Is that just Georgia running into a pretty strong offensive running team, or is it Georgia just making mental mistakes and not getting able to uh, stop the run? I think a little bit of it uh, had to do with the play calling on Kentucky. I think it was um, something that we hadn't seen before. Really, they. I was again watching Brooks. Uh, they they ran some uh, plays that looked like an RPO. So you had to you had to respect the passing game, but then they um, it was an automatic handoff, and and it was just it was kind of it was tough to to stop. You know, uh, Chris Rodriguez is is really talented, and the offensive line um, was was uh, blocking pretty good. So I think it just it took a, a while for the Georgia defense to get adjusted to that. Yeah, I agree with that, and I, I would just add to it that a 240-pound running quarterback is somebody that you have to account for. And if you have to account for him, uh, you have a, you know, you have an assignment on the quarterback that's somebody that can't be assigned to the running back. So you're really you're taking one person out of your defense every play because he's a threat to run it every play. And I think that was probably the biggest thing is when you have to scheme your defense for that type of running quarterback, it makes, you know, it makes everything more complicated and spreads your defense out. Even if you have eight people in the box, you know, you're having to take one person out to cover that quarterback. You know, and uh, I think I looked at, I was looking at the stats a little bit and something that I remember back from just watching the game, you know, one of the big factors was not only did Jordan Davis go down, but we didn't have a fully healthy Monty Rice, and we haven't had a fully healthy Monty Rice for three weeks now. He kind of got banged up in that week leading up to Alabama. You know, with with Rice being banged up and Davis potentially not even being there, you know, that's a big gap in our run defense. You know, if somehow this running back gets past that first level, gets past the defensive line, Monty Rice is usually there to uh, swallow him up and make sure that he doesn't get past that second level. You know, how much of a difference will we see in this defense without potentially two of their best run stoppers in this unit? Uh, I think it, 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 I mean, obviously it it definitely hurts a lot. Uh, Jordan Davis draws a lot of double teams, but I think if, you know, if they go with uh, Devontae Wyatt at nose, they got to respect him too. So, you know, they might, you might throw some double teams on, on uh, Devontae as well, but I think you're really going to have to see Nicobe Dean step up, Quay Walker step up, and you might even see uh, Channing Tindall. He's he's uh, made the most out of the snaps, the limited amount of snaps he's had. But those guys are really going to have to step up, and you're you're going to need them. You know, it's good for them to get these reps um, now because you you likely won't have Monty Rice next year, and um, it'll be a bigger role for Nicobe and and Quay going forward. So it's good to see them uh, have a lot on their plate. And one more thing before I let. Josh, answer this question. Josh, I just want to bring it up to you, and you can um, answer this as well. You can add on to this if you want. You know, one of the things I was thinking about when Brent was talking, when we were talking about uh, who could be playing in the middle trying to replace Jordan Davis, I feel like it's going to be a committee approach. Uh, you know, we brought up Nizir Stackhouse. We brought up uh, Devontae Wyatt. I think a guy that we're going to see a lot more this week is Jalen Carter. You know, while Carter, I see him more kind of as a, as a DN, a 3-4 DN, meaning that he's kind of playing in that Trevon Walker role, um, you know, not really being on the outside, but, you know, just taking on the guards and all that. And he does a really good job at that. I think Jalen Carter can kind of help fill the ro- uh, fill the void that is potentially left by Jordan Davis. I think we're going to see a committee of these defensive linemen shifting in and out of the game. And that's just a credit to how good these guys have recruited at Georgia to bring all these guys in. So, you know, 
Josh, we originally the question was about the run game. Um, how do you stop it without your two best run stoppers? I'm going to let you add on to that if you have anything to add. And you can even talk about the defensive line that we could see shifting throughout uh, Saturday's performance since Florida. Yeah, I, and I think the I, I think those are all excellent points, and I agree with you about it. It's going to be by committee. Uh, you know, just because Devontae Wyatt got the most snaps last week doesn't mean that they're not going to scheme up something a little bit different. Uh, this week for that position. But I really honestly believe that Florida is a team that does what we want to do offensively. They want to set up the run with the pass. So I think the the easiest way for us to be able to control the run is to be able to limit their passing yards. And I know that's coming at it a little backwards. But the fact of the matter is, is if we can shut down um, their intermediate throws, which we have enough speed and enough talent, you know, everywhere on the field to to contain them, everybody except for Kyle Pitts, uh, I think they're going to have a really difficult time running the ball. Really, really difficult time. And, and I don't even know that it matters who's in on defensive line from that point. Uh, they just don't have the talent up front to match up with with our defensive line. And, you know, you, you were talking about having to shut down the run to, uh, you know, having to shut down the pass to stop the run game. And I like the way you put it because I don't think you're backwards at all on that. You know, we saw against Alabama, Alabama was able to run and pass on us. And our inability to stop their outside zone run game kind of hurt us in the passing game as well because now, you know, they can run it on us and then they can pass it on us. You know, they got a lot of really good receivers and, you know, I would say Florida's biggest comparison this year to some of the personnel they got on offense, I would compare them to, well, wouldn't really compare, but they're mo- they're similar to Alabama in that way. They, they have a lot of weapons out wide. You know, the running back room isn't as talented as it should be. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I don't think they have a dominant running back that can come and run on Georgia like we've seen in these past two games. But I think Damian Pierce, you know, is, is the guy to watch at um, – is the guy to watch in the in the Florida backfield. Um, you know, it's it's really a committee approach by them as well because they don't have that dominant, you know, Zumir White or uh, Pirine, the guy they had a few years ago. And who was the who was the guy that ran? I mean, he had a decent game against us last year, but um, nothing what you would, would expect. But you know, I think we'll see a little bit of the quarterback runs. But yeah, stopping the pass to stop the run will be big. And I honestly don't think Florida matches up well with our defensive front, even without Jordan Davis in there. Um, what Josh, I want to come to you real quick. Come right back to you. We talked about it last hey, week. Her- Harrison, I want to add one thing to your point, just Go to ahead. make that a, a, a stronger point. The one of the key things about Florida is they are a much, much better passing team inside the hashes than they are outside. Whereas if you look at Alabama, their big threat is always outside. Always. That's where they get. The, their big chunk plays most of the time is outside the hashes. They're either coming from outside the hash or their their big play is outside the hash. But Florida, and, and this is very similar to us, most of their passing yardage comes from inside the hashes. And Kyle Trask does not have that super strong arm. But what that allows us to do defensively is play with inside leverage. When you play with inside leverage, it puts your play all of your players one step closer when they run the ball. And that you know, it's a it's a game of inches and everything matters. 
though that being able to play with that inside leverage also makes it a little tougher to run. And that's one of the reasons that that against the better defenses they've played played this year, they haven't been overly effective running the ball. And I don't think they will be this week either. And you, you, I mean, you basically fed in right into my next point. Um, this will feed in well. You talk about them being really dangerous inside the hashes and not too dangerous outside the hashes. You know, we we were expecting not to have Richard LeCount, our, our center caller, um, on the back end at safety this week. It's supposed to be Christopher Smith. Chris Smith back at safety alongside potentially Lewis Seen, who is dealing with a day-to-day ankle injury. With them being so prominent inside the hashes with some really big explosive plays, how does Georgia's safety room deal with this? I mean, is Georgia just going to have to shut them down in the middle, play a lot of, you know, are we going to play a lot of zone, try and shut down their middle, try and force them, you know, to make a play over the top to beat us? Or are we going to, you know, play in some quarters coverage and just tie and keep everything in front here? Brent, I'll go to you for this one, and then we'll go right back to Josh. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what, which way they're going to go, but – it wouldn't surprise me if, if Georgia tries to force them to go over the top. You know, trust trust guys like uh, Eric Stokes to, to shut down uh, guys, you know, the speed of Kadarius Tony, guys like that. So, I, I mean, I think you got to trust your, your secondary here. And the other thing here is, uh, you know, guys like Christopher Smith and Lewis Seen, those, I mean, those are not no, – they're not slackers. Like, th- those guys have the experience. Um, Smith is a, a junior, and even though he hasn't – uh, had the the reps on the field, he's he's had the mental reps on the sideline. So, I definitely think he's uh he's gonna he's still gonna be tough for Florida to deal with. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. The the only thing that I'd add to that uh, is that our linebackers and defensive ends have got to hit their tight end when he comes off the line. I mean, we have to. We have got to bruise him up inside of that zone where they can hit him. They've got to hold him up, hit him, bruise him, and make him not want to play. Now, Otherwise, Josh, yeah, go ahead. You, you played you play quarterback in high school, and you bring – I can tell you, you bring a lot of knowledge about the game just from your experience playing it. How, I mean, how much of an advantage is a tight end like Kyle Pitts it, uh, is to that Florida offense? I mean, how much of a threat is he to the Georgia secondary, who is, who is probably one of the best in the nation? Uh, enormous, and I, I think the biggest thing about him is, is, you know, we can hit him when he's lined up on the line as a tight end, but when they split him out, it's really difficult. So I'll be interested to see how they play him when he splits out in a slot or if he lines up just behind the line, uh, which they've done a lot, and they move him around a ton. Oh, that's going to be really interesting, and I'm I'm so glad that I don't have to be the person that decides how to <laughs> how to scheme this game up from a defensive standpoint because Kyle Pitts is impossible to cover. And as I can tell you from a quarterback standpoint, um, having a big tall receiver like that it's just irreplaceable. You know, you can number one, you can always find him. Number two, and he has hands like nobody. I mean, you know, you watch the tape on him, and if you get the ball around him, it doesn't matter if he's triple covered. If he can get a hand on the ball, he's going to catch it. You know, it's it's unbelievable. So from a confidence standpoint, if you're going down your checks and and you get through all of your other checks and, and he's your last guy, just throw it to him. Unless he's laying on the ground, <laughs> throwing the dang ball. You know, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. And, and something that we haven't talked about yet, 
um, in addition to Richard LeCount being out, is the fact that when you go back and watch last year's tape, uh, Georgia versus Florida, the guy that was matched up on Kyle Pitts all day for mostly the whole game was Richard LeCount. I mean, Georgia would put him in man-to-man coverage, you know, a lot of a lot of one safety over the top type stuff, trying to eliminate, trying to isolate Kyle Pitts from the rest of the offense. And I think that's why Georgia was so successful and and you know limiting their offense last year, making sure that you know our offense wasn't that great last year. Um, and you can argue that we aren't seeing um, all, we aren't reaping the rewards that we thought we would back in the offseason, but. Due to the fact that coronavirus is here and now we're dealing with some attrition, you know, that we, we can't expect that LSU leave. But getting back to the point, you know, Richard LeCount being out, you know, who, who are they going to put on Kyle Pitts? Are, there, are we going to see Christopher Smith kind of take up that role of doing one-on-ones with Kyle Pitts? Are we going to see, uh, you know, the ultra-versatile uh, man that is Tyreek Stevenson, the freak? Uh, you know, he lines up everywhere. Brent, what do you see with, you know, what we got left? How does Georgia go about stopping him, and who do you think lines up with him? I, I, th- I think you're right about uh, Tyreek Stevenson. He's just he's, – he's physical. He's, he, but uh, you got to respect Pitts. You know, not only has the size, but he's, he's an athletic freak. I mean, he's, he's quick. So you got you to gotta put a guy like, like Tyreek on him to, to have, a, have a shot at, um, you know, getting some pass deflections or – or whatever you can do to, to limit him, because I mean, you know he's gonna, you know he's gonna make some plays, but you got to do whatever you can to limit him. And that brings me to my next point. Obviously, another guy that we can put on him that's really athletic and doesn't get a lot of credit for what he's doing, um, and was kind of overshadowed by the really, really good game Richard LeCount had um, on defense. You know, Nakobe Dean led Georgia in tackles last week. Uh, believe it or not, he had a really, really silent, really good game, and I thought he's played well. Uh, ever since he came in as a true freshman for Georgia, you know, people have built him up as the next Roquan Smith. And I think he's silently turning into a really good inside linebacker for Georgia. I think he's overshadowed a little bit by Monty Rice and by um, just a lot of the talent we have. He's one of those guys that is overshadowed on the roster by a lot of good talent. I, I expect him. He-, he could be lining up with Kyle Pitts sometime um, over the middle. I wouldn't be surprised by that because Dean is a serious athlete and, you know, can cause trouble for opposing tight ends. You know, moving on, obviously, we talked about Kyle Pitts very shortly. Um, this will be our last time talking about the Florida offense and how our defense matches up with them because I think everyone is wondering how all offense m- matches up with our defense. You know, is Kyle trash? There's a lot of hype around him. You know, they're saying he's a Heisman contender. This could be the first. This could be, you know, the best quarterback they've had since Tim Tebow. You know, stats-wise, I, I don't know if that's true or not. And, you know, certainly he's played well, but he's not as good as some of these guys um, that they're that they're putting him in comparison with. You know, is he a Heisman can, uh, candidate like everyone says he is, or is this the game that really makes or breaks his Heisman candidacy? Uh, in, in short, no. And no. He is. And Dan Mullen, for all his, um, you know, extracurriculars, especially last week, He's still a good offensive coach. You know, he's a good schemer. He does all that stuff really, really well. He has a long track record of success. And, uh, and I, I, they've got a lot of options, you know, a lot of good weapons uh, there. And, and Kyle Trask has played well, but he hasn't played Heisman level, you know, in, in my mind's eye. I, I just don't see him as ending up as uh, being a serious contender. Now, 
I'm obviously biased because I hate Florida as, as much as any other Georgia fan. Um, so I would hate to see him win the Heisman <laughs> and I don't wish him bad, you know, but, but I would just hate to see a Florida player win the Heisman, but I just don't see it. You know, what I expect to see from a Heisman winner is spectacular, miraculous type plays. You know, when I think of, of Heisman winners, um, Gosh, I think back to both of those uh, Oklahoma quarterbacks. You know, they did things that nobody else in the league did at the time. There was just, you could look at those guys and say they're just absolutely fantastic. Um, so I don't take him seriously as a Heisman candidate. Uh, it, you know, who knows if, if, if it will come to fruition that he really is. Um, but personally, I just don't, I don't see it. And tell me if I'm wrong, Brent, hop in if I'm wrong here and definitely hop in, Josh. You know, I feel like it, it's really hard for quarterbacks these days. If you're not a mobile quarterback, if you're not dual threat, you know, you, you're going to have to be spectacular to win the Heisman. You know, you have to put up, you know, record-breaking numbers to win it. And, you know, I, I would say and I would argue that Joe Burrow played more like a dual threat last year. Um, you know, maybe you could say he was a pocket passer. I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, he did really well. Credit to him. But it's, I mean, Kyle Trask is not a Joe Burrow. You know, he's not a. Uh, he's. I wouldn't say he's a Matt Leinart. I, w- I would say he's kind of like Jake Fromm in a way. He has really good weapons behind. Uh, you know, around him. But he's not doing any Heisman winning plays. And Brent, I'm gonna kick it over to you. I mean, in, in your opinion, is he a Heisman candidate? And do you think that he does he have the necessary talent to beat Georgia this weekend? Uh, I, I mean, I'm just piggybacking off y'all. I don't, I don't think he, I think he's a Heisman, uh, contender, but not at the same level that guys like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, not, he's, he's not at that level yet. Does he have the talent to beat Georgia? Yes, I think he does. Uh, I think he's, he's really good at just, you know, he can, he uses the talent around him. Uh, he can't, it's, uh, it's not his fault that, you know, Florida's put some weapons around him. And it, it's just uh, that's on him to to recognize he's got he's got guys like Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony around him to uh, to to be successful. And you know that's just, it's a credit to them for building a team around them. So I mean they've done a good job. Uh, and no disrespect to Kyle Trask, I just I just you know we're we're kind of I'm kind of chopping away at the some of the hype that's coming out. And you know which brings us now to the Georgia quarterback situation. I, I said at the beginning that I didn't want to focus on this quarterback situation too much because I feel like everyone's doing that. I feel like that's that's the trend, and I don't really like, um, personally, I don't like to follow the trend. I like to I like to do my own thing and, you know, to talk about stuff that we don't talk about here in the media. You know, a lot of news has come out in the last week or so about this Georgia quarterback room. You know, there's there were rumors. Um, insiders were saying that they expected Dewan Mathis, the former four-star, um, to transfer away from Georgia um, and enter the portal, um, which, um, excuse me, doesn't necessarily mean he'll leave. Um, there's a chance that he could come back. That just means he can talk to other teams. And not only that, the, the fan base as a whole, I would say, is, uh, you know, has put the fire to Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett. Um, I've seen majority of people on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere upset with the play at quarterback position so far with Stetson Bennett. I think he's done fine. Um, you know, I think uh, I would like him to be better, definitely. Um, but there's just a lot of improvement to be done. I think this is another this is another week where we're going to see, you know, is, is he the guy that Kirby Smart and Tom Lincoln wants him to be? So my first question to y'all, 
would be, what does Stetson Bennett need to do this week to win this game? You know, besides not turning the ball over, what does he need to improve on to win this game to help, you know, because if, if we lose this game, it's 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 going to be hard for Curry Smart to say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to trot Stetson out, you know, next week. I, man, honestly, I, I can't get over not turning the ball over. I think that's the, you know, I know you said besides that, but there is no bigger thing. Um, you know, I, five turnovers in two games is, is just ridiculous. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the statistics that I've started keeping up with is how many off target throws he has per game. And, and it's a really high percentage. I mean, it's over 30% of his targets. The, the player either has to fall down to catch, stop in the route, uh, or it's either incomplete or inter- intercepted. Uh, we would want that percentage to be like in the teens. I mean, that's what the great quarterbacks do. Uh, they're either down in single digits or low teens. So I would be happy with anything under 20%. Though um, so my my second thing on on that after not turning the ball over is to deliver deliver the target or deliver deliver the ball on target and on time. And the third thing is he's got to work through his progressions. And this could easily be the number one more most important thing because a lot of uh, a lot of the bad plays that have come out of his passes there was a wide open receiver somewhere else in the field that he just didn't get to, you know, and that's, that's a very serious issue. Uh, him not, and he has plenty of time. You know, that's the thing is our, our line, our O-line has played better and better every week. Uh, and that's not just my eyes telling me that uh, pro football focus has, has graded them slightly better every single week, all the way up until, you know, last week was their best week. So, um, that would be my my top three things: protect the football, deliver the ball on time, on target, and work through the progressions. And Brent, I mean, you can add on to that if you if you think we've missed anything, or you could even take the question in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, he nailed it on the head. It's uh, uh, another thing to think about too is not only does he have you know five five interceptions there's also been a lot of close uh you know near interceptions or uh he also nearly had a or he, he did fumble that was uh recovered by georgia last week so you know there, there's also it, it there was a chance for it to ha- have been more than uh just the five turnovers but um i think you know this week it's it, he's really gonna have to be a game manager that that's what georgia's gonna need him to be as frustrating as that is for georgia fans to hear i don't think you're gonna see him throw the ball a lot. Uh, it'll probably be similar to what you saw last week. You know, he, he just had the 13 um, attempts. I think it'll be around that number. But when he does, you know, throw for however many times, he's, he's got to make them count. He's got to make efficient throws. He, you can't, uh, you know, put your you, – you can't be releasing the ball, you know, around the, the offensive lineman's helmet. You just – you cannot make those – mental lapses that result in turnovers that, that can swing the game. And, you know, you brought up the point of, you know, probably being a game manager this week. I, I, I looked at the stats right when you said that. Um, 
I, I don't know why. My mind just flew right into the um, Jake Fromm's freshman year against Florida when they blew him out 42-7 to and ultimately uh, put Jim McElwain in the casket. Um, Jake Fromm threw the ball. Uh, I'm going to let you all guess real quick before I give you the answer. Guess how many times Jake Fromm threw the ball that game? 17. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was 12. Close, close. Seven. He was 4-7. <laughs> 101 yards with a touchdown and a pick. Graded out as a 98.3 QBR. I think that's something that we're going to have to see this week. Um, I don't. I, I mean, I don't know how happy Georgia fans would be um, after two weeks of not seeing the quarterback throw it that much. But, I mean, definitely I think the ball is going to be in the hands of the running backs pretty much majority of the day until Florida says, hey, you know, we're going to stop your run and we're going to make you beat us over the top. And I think that's going to be something. I mean, we saw it last year. Florida tried to do the same thing. Um, didn't really work out for him too well because uh, Georgia did run it pretty well in the second half. But, you know, they're going to have to stop the run. And Georgia's going to have to find a way to be to make Stetson capable of making the big plays when they need him to. If it's a shootout, I would bet my whole I would bet my whole bank account that Florida would win the game um, because I just don't think that Georgia has the necessary weapons on offense uh, to win a shootout just yet. I think later on in the season we will become a team that can win a shootout. But right now, I don't have the dogs in a shootout. But I don't think this will be a shootout. I think this will be a very much, uh, you know, first one to 20 points is probably going to win the game. I don't see us hitting that 30-point mark unless there's an offensive explosion. But I'm, uh, I'm going to switch my answer. I was I was thinking um, just a few days ago that uh, Florida's going to win this game. I'm going to stick with the dogs here. I got the Georgia uh, – 28-24, I think Georgia wins this game. I think it's going to be close, uh, but I think Georgia got it. I think Georgia gets it in the end. Do I have anything Man, I, well, I, I, I was going to bring up one, one more interesting statistic that I heard this week uh, on another podcast. The, in 2018, we averaged three plays, three rushing plays per game over 20 yards. And I think the only way that we win this game is if we replicate that. But so far, we've averaged less than one rushing play over 20 yards per game this Ooh. year. I mean, we've only got four. So um, that's something that has to be rectified. And, and there's two reasons for that. Number one, we have thrown the ball more this year. Number two, our offensive line is coming along. You know, it's their first season playing together, and, and man, have we had a lot of talent the past two years on our offensive line. And the third thing is we've mostly got really young wide receivers right now. You know, at any given time, we have uh, two to four years of experience on the field at wide receiver, whereas in years past, we've probably averaged four to six years of experience. Uh, when you put everybody together so we're definitely at a deficit there uh, right now is and just like i said before it's it's just as much about getting in the right position to make that block as it is uh, either effort or technique once you get there and and the game versus kentucky we definitely saw an improvement in that um, but you know, my, my prognostication for this week is that we lose a tight one, and it it's, kills me to even say that. I definitely hate to say it on the air. Uh, but we just have a lot going against us, and uh, I, I really don't have faith 
right now that Stetson won't turn the ball over. And, and that's my biggest thing. But if we can get three rushing plays over 20 yards and we have one or less turnovers, I think we stand a really good chance of winning the game. Brent, that means it all comes down to you. You're the third and final judge. What do you got this week down in Jacksonville? Yeah, I think this game can can really go um, one of two ways. I think if the Bulldogs want to win this week, they're gonna have to. It's gonna have to be similar to how they played Auburn. You get, you're gonna have to come out and score score um, early and often, and, and you're gonna have to leave your offense on the field. I think Georgia's gonna need to control uh, time of possession. And I think if, if Georgia does lose this game, I don't think it's going to be close. I think if Georgia loses this game, it'll be because uh, the offense, you know, goes three and out after three and out or, you know, very limited, very short drives that you, you give it, give the ball back to Florida, keep your defense on the field. I think your defense will get worn out and uh, they won't be able to hang with uh, Florida's weapons. So I think the, the plan of attack for Georgia has got to be control and time of possession. Amen. I think I'm just going to leave it at this. Um, you know, I brought this up last week with Brooks Austin. He really liked it. It's all going to come down to three things. And I'm sure for people who've listened to it before um, know what I'm about to say. It comes down to alignment, assignment, and execution. Whoever wins those three phases are going to win this game. You know, I think we've covered everything here. We've covered what it's going to take for Georgia to win. We've covered what Georgia needs to do on offense and what they need to do on defense to beat Florida. We've covered – you know, this Kentucky game and looked at some of the holes where Georgia didn't perform so well. So you got it there. It's going to be a good game. Um, and, you know, definitely going to be one that where you're either going to be extremely excited or you're going to be uh, upset. So that was episode 14 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. We had Brent Wilson, Josh Carr here today for episode 14 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. I'm Harrison Reno, and that was episode 14 of the Top Dog Talk podcast.